episode of the Oral History Podcast is sponsored by The Booklistrator, a blog brought to you by the sun-starved shut-ins at Booklist Publications. If your social life is out of control and all you want to do is retreat to your special quiet place with something good to read, they'll give you all the help you need with book lists, author Q&As, book award news, and more. You'll find it all at booklistreader.com where you can sign up by email to receive daily updates or just follow them on Twitter at booklistreader. And finally, I wasn't around in 1937, but I personally don't appreciate the wide swath of bigotry that the author painted over the entire area. Having lived in East Texas for 57 years, I have experienced both good and bad, and I believe that both were also present in 1937. Contrary to popular political correctness, not every white person is a racial bigot. Hey, Carrie, what are you reading right now? Okay, well, I just actually finished reading some fiction. See? Ooh, this is yeah. new for you this summer. I know. Um, so uh, it's a book called Himself by an author named Jess Kidd. And it's a strange conglomeration of genres. It's a it's a mystery. It's a historical kind of epic uh, fantasy. Uh, it's got some magic in it. It's set in Ireland. It's very funny. Um, I absolutely loved it. And the sentences are beautiful. And it was a really fun read. Um, nice. So him, himself by Jess Kidd. And then I'm alternating between two books about canids um one is called inside of a dog what dogs see smell and know by alexander alexandra horowitz and um that's just kind of like a dog's owner's manual Mm -hmm. like what what dogs how dogs experience the world and then i'm also reading this book called Domesticated Evolution in a Man-Made World by Richard Francis, which is all about all domesticated animals, horses and goats and cats and dogs. Um, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty excellent. I love What have you been reading? um, No, I just was saying that I love that you are still so invested in your dogs. Um, that makes me super happy. I'm invested in your dogs, too. Anyone who reads your tiny letter probably is. Um, what have I been reading? I just finished Demetra Brodsky's um, Dive Smack, which I think you read, too. Oh, yes. So I finished it. It was great. It was super juicy. You were totally right. I finished it in, like, two days. Um, and that, that doesn't come out for a while. Yeah, so. not till like, 2018. But, yeah, you and I got early reads of that one. Um, and I am currently reading let's see i'm reading richard ford's between them which is actually about his parents like it's a memoir about his parents and their lives and it's sort of cool to see like this is like his first memoir that he's done and it's cool to see him like really start to recognize his own parents as beings of them of their own selves as opposed to like his parents, you know. So it's cool. It's a it's an interesting way of looking at things. I was gonna say I would not have pegged you for someone who would ever read Richard Ford fiction. Yeah. And <laughs> but, but anyway. memoir is yeah, yeah, you would be right on that. Um and plus that's a book club book, so there is oh. that part too. I probably never would have gone that way, but yes. Um, and then the other thing I'm reading, which is like my summer fun read, is um, uh, it's a romance book called Stay by Serena Bowen and L. Kennedy. And they have this whole just hilarious and absolutely filthy hockey series <laughs> called The Wags. It's like The Wag series. And it's so good. And it's like my favorite of, of romance in that uh it's both uh, hilarious and super sleazy, and it's just great. I love when I laugh when I'm reading, like, sleazy books. It just makes me so happy, and that series is fantastic. I can't and, – and there's also this other – so it's, it's a hockey component, but there's also this whole thing about dogs. So you oh. who are interested in dogs, they have this whole other dog thing. 
Um, so yeah, I, I highly oh. recommend it. Yeah, it's super fun. When you're laughing, like, okay, this is a little off topic, but when you're laughing at romance, so what I do is I am laughing because, not because it's witty, but mostly because it's just so ridiculous or, um, or oh. just... The, just like a confluence of really funny events. Right. And, like I'm in her ass saving her life. Yes. No, it's yeah. not like that. No, no, no. This is laughing at them. And like, I'm in your ass saving your life, which is a Shayla Black review of a book that by Shayla Black. But I, I like just you're laughing because it's just so fun. You know what I mean? Like, not that it's, you know, witty or funny, but just that it's so fun. No, no, this is actually witty and funny. And I think part of it, it is like one of their characters is just this dude who's such a bro and and he he makes up all of his own words so he's always like you know samesies and and he you know i don't know he just made he, he's like talking about dick pics and he's like what do you call a dick selfie like a delphi and it's just funny it's like funny stuff like that that's <laughs> dumb and great um that just makes me laugh in the way that it's it's just a really well kind of goofy funny character and they do a really nice job in that series with that it's like balancing that um so yeah that's what i'm reading well cool um all right so we've told you all about our companion tiny letter um but we'll still link it in the show notes for those of you who are new listeners each episode has its own tiny letter that comes with it and expands on the topic um so today's topic which is when we are continuing as part of a series is romance tropes. We did a show on this a while back and what we do is we both pick a trope and do a little in-depth analysis of some of our favorites reasons why they work and why they don't work. And, um, yeah. yeah. So, so we'll talk about romance novels, both uh, YA and adult romance. Um, but there might be some other genres that pop in our, on our discussion. Um, a, a quick thing before we start that the tropes that we've picked are ones that we like or feel like it would make a really good conversation piece. We realize that some listeners are might not be into these tropes or think they're dumb or boring or too filthy or whatever. Um, and you all have your own favorites, which is totally fine. Um, you do you. It's totally fine when it comes to your own sexual desire and relationships and what gets you off. No, no judgment. And it, yeah, so um, and you don't have to like our tropes either. And that's fine. And if anyone can give us feedback at feedback at the oral history podcast.com. The other thing that's important to note is that I really believe that analyzing your own likes and dislikes when it comes to books is a really important big part of developing your own voice and your own aesthetic and kind of understanding yourself or maybe even understanding yourself as a writer and a reader. And so um, I think it's important to think about your own likes and dislikes after you listen to this, even if you disagree with us, um, because tropes aren't wrong or bad, they're just inevitable. And how they are refreshed by authors and artists is the important part. Yeah, and how they evolve, too. I mean, just right. lots of, I, I know I have a lot of thoughts about the trope that you're taking on today, So, I, which I feel like has done a lot of in terms of evolution. Um, but just examples of tropes for those who don't really know what we're talking about. Um, I think on our first show, we did uh, Virgin Heroes. And what did you do? The Indestructible Male Hero? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, other examples are like the fake boyfriend, girlfriend, or the fake engagement that I feel like is a pretty common trope. I've seen a fair amount of, um, the best friends or the older brother's best friend or some variation of that. Um, let me see what else, uh, the, for like people who like historicals, sort of that, that blue stocking reforms, the rake. Um, I just, yes. uh, I just read, I actually just listened to, um, that, uh, Sarah McLean's one good Earl deserves a lover. 
and it totally is the blue stocking refer, you know reforming the rake and it's so great and so fun um and and it has a scene that goes along with your trope today so um also Ooh. other tropes are like uh you know um male december or may december romances you know that sort of either the cougar one way or the other so right. the cougar or the manther as we call it. Oh, um so yeah um well there's a lot more and we'd love to hear some of your favorites so please chime in um we do have a facebook page and we do have email as krista mentioned we're happy to hear from you so why don't you get us started uh krista why don't you introduce your trope and talk about why you love it and what what books executed in a way that you think is cool and i should say that mine are mostly ya ones this time um in my picks so i did uh my trope of choice is the 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 hottie next door or the (laughs) the the neighbor lover or whatever you want to call it whatever anyone wants to call it and i feel like we should both like I should like preface this conversation by just telling you like what's so hilarious to me. There are a ton of books about like hot neighbors or like neighbors you're secretly in love with or you grew up grown up with like whatever I call like for anyone who's my age, the uh, Joey Dawson, Dawson's Creek, like that scenario, that whole thing. There are tons of YA books like that about the, you know, the neighbor who sneaks in your window or whatever you've got going on. Um, And what's hilarious about this is for, I love reading them. There's so much pleasure in reading them, but I have no good neighbor stories. Like I actually have a humiliating (laughs) neighbor story, which is that when we were, we were super broke when I was young and my dad uh didn't like he we, we, he he's like a single dad raising us and um and he didn't have like we just didn't have things like curtains or i mean it was like a dude house you know oh. we didn't have like all you know it was just under construction and we didn't have curtains and we didn't have you know all sorts of dumb things we had all this generic food and it just was such a dude house and so because we didn't have curtains i remember one day like coming out of the shower and just you know in a towel and then like dropping my towel and like turning to look for you know to open my dresser to find some clothes and there is my neighbor brian atzef like right there with his face like our (sighs) our houses must have been like you know maybe 20 feet from each other and his face is right there eye level and i was like holy shit i like hit the ground and i was like oh my god (laughs) What am I going to do? So then I thought, well, surely he's going to move. Like he's, you know, like this was just, he was accidentally looking in our window that has no curtains. So I pop my head up and he's like standing there still looking. And like now he's like stood up and he's like trying to, because I'm laying on the ground now. And I'm like, oh my God, you're going to make this, this awkward. Like you're not going to move. Like at this point I've caught you, you know, you've been caught. But no, he just stayed there. So I had to like worm my way over to the and like I'm groping in the in the dresser (laughs) for clothes to put on because he won't leave. I mean, my gosh. So anyway, as you can imagine, like the bus stop the next day was totally horrifying. And there was nothing glamorous about this this neighbor next door. I didn't admit, you know, it wasn't like I had this secret crush on Brian Atzef. It was like the whole thing. I mean, maybe he had a secret crush on me, but maybe he was just being Brian Atzef looking in my window. I don't know. I mean. Well, it could, it could have been also like my husband's pretty eager to always tell me that oh from that angle you can't see anything the window is all glare or whatever because he doesn't believe in curtains either and I I never I don't have enough of a scientific background and you know optics to believe him but maybe he was just like looking well we could Monday morning quarterback this but he could be just looking out the window well no way, know. though, because the thing was that, I, well, first of all, I could see him. So already Adrian's, that's that doesn't make any sense. Like the okay. glare, because what if I could see you? Ch- chances are you can see me. But right. the secondary part to that is like when I hit the hit the ground and like then in a couple minutes, like lean back up to see if he was still there. He had gone from like sitting and looking out the window to standing and looking down Oh like, God. to, to okay. see me. So I feel like there's no... The, that for sure was just 100% of just a sleazy move. No doubt about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it was probably a, a wonderful gift. He wasn't expecting, you know, yeah. like that just was, you know, real and served up. Um, yeah. I did have some, I guess, boy next door. I had a boyfriend who lived in my neighborhood across the street from me. Um, but we weren't like together very long and our, our shenanigans consisted of me slipping out the sliding glass door in our house and meeting him uh, after he slipped out of his sliding glass door. And also my parents were not really big drinkers. So if they had alcohol left over from a party, they would just, it would just sit around for a hundred years and they never took stock of it. So that's how I like, you know, cleaned out their stash of wine coolers that they kept in the garage all warm. <laughs> and um, so sometimes we snuck out and met each other and drank that and, the hard I don't know. things with something like that is like, how does that end when you have someone who lives across the street? I mean, I always think about these. Uh, one of the things about this trope in general is when you see it in books, that it always sort of ends with this possibility of forget forever. Like, you know, they they're going to be together forever. And then but like the reality of it is in real life is like, if that goes south, then you're stuck at the bus stop with this guy or you're stuck, you know, like, avoiding each other walking to school or whatever it is, because it's like, right. And I guess it depends on how it goes south. I'm, you know, maybe it just fizzles out. And it's like, uh, you're with someone new. And that's the end of it. You know, I don't know, because the other thing is he had lived on our block for a while, but it was we were sort of like a sex segregated block. Like it was girls played with each other and boys played with each other, or played basketball or whatever they did. They were doing it apart from us. And I, I just don't remember. I don't remember that being a really big issue. Like, I don't know. I, I wonder if if. Uh, I, I can't remember that that was uh, uncomfortable. Although, I, while it, the relationship was still on, I was always very keenly aware of where he could be. I didn't just walk out the door, you know, and get the newspaper and my, you know, yeah, you baggy had to put, underwear. Like, ma- yeah, you had to put on makeup to leave the house to get your newspaper. See, this is the logistics that no one thinks about. Or right. the other side of that where you feel like awkwardly stalking, like if they're not there and you get to see when they get home and then you're like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, you got home at midnight last night. What were you doing? You know, like right. all those things. Right. Um, which I guess you could do anyway with technology now. So it's sort of a moot point. Um, okay, right. so here are my books that I wanted to talk about. Uh and I, I guess I want to sort of um, unpack the books and talk about uh, why this trope is really fascinating. Um, for for me, first of all, I guess it, it, the way that I've seen this played out in books is sort of two ways. One is there's this neighbor who you uh, were friends with for a long time, and then maybe you weren't friends with them. And then, then there's like a love relationship, right? So th- like the, the, the classic of this to me is like Lola and Cricket, right? The, that uh, Stephanie Perkins book, Lola and the Boy Next Door. Um, right. Where there's like a, either a friendship or like someone goes away and they come back. And, and there's like some point of difference that, that's going to be a change that leads to this new budding relationship. So there's either that or there's sort of the what I call like the everything everything, which is the um, the Nicola Yoon um, idea that you know someone new is moving in next door, and now there's this fascination and intrigue with this new person, um, and and having a new person come to school or move next door or whatever is always like such a great way of starting a YA book because it's, you know, something different is happening. And because right. teenage lives, you know, we're always sort of waiting for something different to happen. That when a, someone, a stranger comes to town, yes, essentially. Yes, yeah. it's the stranger comes to town or something new happens, something breaks and, and your boring life is left boring now because you now have this hot guy moving next door or whatever. So mine would follow my my thing with my neighbor neighbor Travis was his name he his family built a house on what had always been the vacant lot across from our street (laughs) so what had been the place where my dog would go pee in the morning became 
a house and that happened when we were teenagers so that was sort of um fulfilling that the new ingredient yes plot line right okay go on which which i feel like so that's sort of the this the 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 idea of that's like a wish fulfillment of a new person like oh there's something you know better or possible um and then you know the second type tends to be you know which you know the the lola and the crick and cricket kind of scenario tends to be a lot of times like a friends to lovers trope, right? Where you were together uh, and and then, or, you know, as friends when you were young and then there's some kind of break and then you're now a couple or you ultimately become a couple. Um, so uh, one of the, the really good examples of that that I read recently that actually comes out in August, and it, it's the cutest book. It's called Kissing Max Holden by Katie Upperman. And um, what is really cool about this story is these are two people who had been friends for a long time. Um, and then there is like a family tragedy really and so when there's like family tragedy which i always think is sort of an interesting way of of looking at things but uh it kind of brings them back together so max you know jilly and max are good friends um when they're young and then he becomes kind of I don't know, like kind of a bad boy, I guess, you know, and he starts dating this other girl and Jilly's always sort of this good girl. So there's like a lot of cool tropes happening in that story anyway, because it's not just the like reforming the bad boy, but it also proves like that the bad boy isn't really that bad anyway, you know, which is always, I think, kind of also a cool way of doing romance where you think like it's sort of what you see isn't what you get. Um, And he's got a lot of issues anyway. Um, that make him a super complicated character. But anyway, sort of the the linchpin there is they've got this family drama, this family trauma, really. And he finds solace in her, who is his longtime friend. And then, of course, he becomes like romantically entangled. And of course, because he has this other girlfriend, there's this issue of hiding. But it's actually her who's hiding a lot more than he is because there's like a split. There's lots of cool things going on here in terms of like A plus romance tools. Uh, and what I like about, well, what I like about this story in particular is, and you know, Sarah Dessen does this too, is she takes what from the outside could be like a lot of cliches and unwinds them. So they're super fascinating. And like the characters are so well-rounded and have so many interesting things about them that like, you're like, I'm all in. And that's the thing about Sarah Dessen too, is like, sometimes you can look at a Sarah Dessen novel and you can say, okay. There's going to be this sibling who's this problem child and therefore like the main character is somehow going to be like, you know, shifted out of the way because of this problem child sibling. And so then the main character is going to be playing out their own drama. And a lot of Sarah Dessen's books do something similar to that. Um, And yet every single one, I'm like, bring more. I love them because they are so like really just so well-rounded, well thought out, all these pieces. And the same thing with Kissing Max Holden, like all these pieces of what make up Jillian Max become really interesting. And they have this whole, uh, I guess, dynamic going on where they're, it's a, it's a friends to lovers trope, but it's also sort of breaking a lot of previously held perceptions about what someone was like or or, you know, when Max, like she had, well, Max just changed. He became this bad boy. But it turns out like, no, there was actually a lot of things that made that happen. Um, so I, I always really like that. I, I feel like that's always sort of a cool thing. And and again, like in the same way how Lola and the boy next door did it was that um, Cricket was away and then comes back and here's Lola and she's and what's cool about Lola as a character anyway in that book is that she's constantly reinventing herself which to me is like so smart about understanding teenagers is and she reinvents herself with costumes like she's always like sewing and and putting on new costumes like new 
outfits. Um, and it's like this daily sort of reinvention. And I love that. I feel like that insight is so cool because when he comes back, he doesn't really know what he's going to get. Um, plus all the family dynamics in those books on both those books are really, really cool. Um, so those are my first two examples, um, which are YA books of, um, you know, sort of, sort of a friends to lovers, but also the the boy next door or the person next door is different than you thought they were, or you were friends and now you've, you've become more. Well, uh, it's it, the cool thing about that is that you've got this history that most other people, other romantic rivals can't say they have, right? Because you've known them when they were swimming in the little kiddie pool in their diaper, or you've known known their parents, you've known their backstory. And so it's it gives you a sort of in and an insight on that person that no one else gets to have, which I think the layers of history, despite the changes and the reinventions, is still like we just like that as readers because the familiar coming back to us feels really good. Yeah. And, and you know, what's cool about this, and and actually, it ends up being sort of integral in this is that so my kids go went to a Montessori school, like my daughter went to a Montessori school from the time she was one to eighth grade, right. And I have friends who have been in like K 12 schools in pretty small K 12 schools. And they didn't really date anyone the whole time because they were like, well, because I like was potty trained with these kids. So there's nothing exciting. Like I've been with these, they're like siblings to me. And in both those books, they do something. There's like a way that there's a separation. And I think that's like really integral to that trope in general is to create a reason that you don't know this you know, like you're missing a point of this life, like that you had had done all the kiddie pools and you had done all this and you understand all the family dynamics. And oftentimes parents are friends too. And all of those things are happening. But at the same time, like you have this big missing chunk and then you come back and, and, and they're different. There's something different about them. And I do like that because I feel like you need that to have a point of difference. Otherwise, you're like, yeah, I still remember you in the kiddie pool. Um, right. But to your point, though, it is nice where you don't have to tell all the same stories or that someone knows your reactions about those things or they were there when your dad got hammered at the 4th of July parade and like had to be pulled back inside or whatever, you know, right, right. and that's the sort of the safety. So it's a nice balance of this is safe, but it's also new um, because there, you know, there's something different here. Um, Plus so- the, the craft standpoint, which is. if they live next door to each other, they have way more likelihood of interacting. It's not as difficult to put them together (laughs) because they share a setting. Yes, and a window often. And there's there's always, you know, the sort of looking in. I feel like even um, that John Green one with the maps, tell me what the book is. Uh, You know that they turned it, it, it's Um, a road trip movie. Paper Towns. Thank you, Paper Towns. Paper Towns. It's the same kind of thing. Is like it's this sort of across the way. You can look at this person across the way and see, and then sort of see into their lives in this setting. So that always, I think, makes it easier. And that's an easy sneak out. I mean, you through a glass door, your neighbor through a glass door. You don't have to like figure out driving or being walking for miles in the middle of the night, like all those different things. Instead, you're right. just like, yep, it's just right next door. Um, okay, so and then so my romance book that I chose is uh, Mariana Zapata's Wait for It. Um, and she is such an interesting writer. Uh, she's a very well loved writer. Um, and she does these really slow burn romances. And when I talk about slow burn, what's so funny is, you know me, like I'm high heat, like you can probably start a book with a BJ scene and I'd be super pleased. Um, <laughs> but for some reason, her books are so good, like painfully good, but so good because she'll take any trope that you can possibly name or any sort of scenario. So if it's like bikers or 
porn stars or NFL players or whatever, like whatever sort of is a hot contemporary scenario. And she will like unwind it and unpack it. So it's so fascinating and it looks totally new and it's really great. I mean, she does such a good job with it. And she and, and me, who's like always wants like where do, when do we get to the sex? I do not even mind. And she'll have like a 400, 450 page book that you won't <laughs> even get to like kissing till 90 percent. And it's totally <laughs> worth it. Like the juice is completely worth the squeeze. It's so great. So I chose her book, Wait For It, um, which is a book where a, a uh, a woman moves into a new neighborhood and the, the, you know, the hot guy across the street also happens to be her nephew's baseball coach. And um, it, at first, like, he's very standoffish because he's good looking, but he also has like, have, has this sort of messy divorce that he's working through. And he also has, because he's a baseball coach and he's really hot, he, there are lots of people who are like all up on him pretty often. And he's like, I don't need all these moms like hitting on me. Like I'm coaching your kids. And at first, part of the, the awkwardness is that he thought, so she's got these two boy nephews who she is uh, has custody of. And it's unclear, he's, it's unclear to him at the beginning that she's the aunt because she's basically their mom, because their parents have passed. And so she, you know, so here she is like this young, hot mom. And he's like, but you have kids, and what is this? And where's the dad? And so there's like all these different dynamics that are really interesting. So again, like what she does is she takes this scenario of new person in the neighborhood and then she'll completely unwind it as opposed to like having interest. What they have is they have chemistry, but neither of them wants to deal with it in any way, which is why the slow burn takes forever because you really are like, oh my gosh, how long is this courtship going on? But it's not even a courtship. It's like this endless, like all these interactions where you're like, oh my gosh, you feel like the heat between the two of them. And both of them for different reasons are like, I can't get involved in this mess, um, which is cool. And I think that she does a really nice job with that. She has a lot of different scenarios where it you know it's it for all these different reasons like the roadblocks in between her hero and heroine are really endless and she always manages to get around it and so it's just great writing it's super fun um and it's and almost always she ends up doing like really strong friends to lovers tropes which is cool because i always like um and Steph Perkins does this too. She did it in Anna and the French Kiss where you're sort of best friends with this person that you're going to fall in love with for like the majority of the novel. And I always like that too, you know, even though I actually, it wasn't like Julio was my best friend, but I always like the stories where like people are really good friends first and then they end up together. Because that's you and Adrian, right? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think... We all know that it's very healthy to know somebody in a couple different ways before you fuck them. Yeah. So, um, and it actually gives you a little more confidence in how you communicate and whatever. And so maybe that sounds really boring and <laughs> like, this is very good advice, youngsters, you know, but I think that it does. It just makes the connection deeper and more valuable, Um what I think is super funny about that, I totally want to read this, but what's so funny is that he is just a baseball coach. He's not somebody's crappy husband or overworked dad who got <laughs> no. forced into it. Yeah, that's the funny thing is like, and I think how it, it sort of ended up being how he ended up being a baseball coach was that his like one of his best friends is like the who and this is the other thing is Mariana Zapata does all these things where she links all of her worlds like sort of indirectly but um is like a motorcycle club guy who's kind of it's not exactly a deadbeat dad but kind of a deadbeat dad and he's like trying to pull his act together so he's like this hot 
motorcycle guy who's like is like I'm gonna coach my son's baseball team because I'm you know everyone thinks I'm a big mess and I've been a shitty dad and so I'm gonna represent and he talks his friend into doing it with him so that's how it works is like so it's not just like he's a random guy being altruistic and and signing up to do baseball it's more so like he he knows baseball which is why his his friend brought him into it but he it's more so like will you help me out because I'm trying to be a good guy a good dad here right so right. yeah anyway yeah I that's that is always like a, a great trope so I highly recommend all three of those books they're really fun reads um I know that there is a, there are a lot of YA books in particular that have sort of these neighbor tropes but um Kissing Max Holden comes out in August. It's awesome. Lola and the Boy Next Door, which is like a a Steph Perkins classic. Um, Really cool, too. And I forgot to mention, too, like she's the Lola has like two dads, I think. Right. And which is super interesting, too. And the other cool thing about that, just from a sex standpoint, is that she doesn't actually have sex with Cricket in this book at all. But she has she was dating someone else is dating someone else at the beginning of the the story and has bad sex with him. So it's a really cool book in that. You see bad sex, and then she actually doesn't have sex with like the hero of the story. Which that's is. that's the one. The guy's in a band, and he's yes. a little older, and, and he's older. He's... Yes, and he like they like do it in the back of the van. <laughs> um, that's a trope in itself. Where the if the girl is sexually active and has bad sex, then the ideal guy, the one she really loves, is she never really does anything with physically except kiss it's very pure and uh pure of heart i that, guess that may be a more of a ya thing though because in the romance world how that works is at least in the the erotic romance work world how that works is that it's like the hero's job to bring back good sex is like right now they're like yeah you've had this just bad lay or this shitty thing where you have no confidence anymore because someone told you like something you know about yourself and now I'm going to show you that you actually, you know, can easily have orgasms with Ladyhead or whatever it is, right. you know, it's right, always right. some different thing that the hero now has like this challenge, which is a nice intro to your trope, Carrie. Well, it is. I should mention also, I did have a recommendation for uh, uh the Hottie Next Door. It is a romance novel called Close Enough to Touch by Victoria Dahl. And that features people that are actual neighbors. Um, Grace and Cole live in the same apartment house across from a bar. And so they often wonder about what the other is doing just to, uh, you know, across the hallway. And then they often meet up at the bar across from where they live and uh, get kind of tipsy and enter into shenanigans. So that's another... um, a good neighbor's book if you're interested in that. And um, also that gives you opportunities to make out in hallways and get interrupted, which is, you know, yeah. super fun. Oh, um, yes. I think Ronnie Loren has a series of, of a next door situation. And of course they've got that like wall they're sharing. That's like the thin wall. So that you yes. also got like, it's like a, what is it? Is it, is it Pyramus and Thisbe? Like the Greek thing where you're, they're like talking through a wall, but in this case they're like masturbating through a wall. Right. 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 They're like kissing the crack in the wall. Yes. On each other side. Um, okay. So my trope is, um, a little bit more prurient than yours. It is called the masturbate for me trope. And so what this consists of is where the two folks are together, the, the couple, and the, the, the one person, it's usually the man says, I want, I want you to make yourself come or, you know, get yourself off and I want to watch it or you should do this for me or whatever the hell. Um, and the the usually the thing that kind of kills me about this is that the timing of the event sometimes happens like it's one of their first sexual encounters or so it's a prelude to other kinds of sex like they start with her masturbating for him in front of him and then they get on to other kinds of intercourse um and the other person 
is sometimes fully clothed while the masturbator is totally naked. Um, and the other person doesn't seem to have any other sexual goals besides just watching this. It's kind of a voyeur situation. Um, sometimes this trope is deployed because one of the people is dealing with trauma around sex or issues about their body. Yeah. Usually, yeah. usually a, a woman who's had those things happen. And, um, I don't think I've seen a lot of, or if, if I have, it wasn't that remarkable. It doesn't have that uh, layer of self-discovery where the women ask the man to masturbate or show them how they get off because possibly, you know, the equipment involved in that is a little more straightforward and not as uh, difficult to figure out, perhaps. I don't know. People could argue with me about that. But I don't tend to see women asking men to show them how they like it. It seems to be a, a function of the fact that there is kind of a a history of ignorance about what makes women feel good. And uh, the, the, the good lover will inquire how she likes it. And that shows just another reason why that person is the preferred vendor um, for all things sexual. So the I, all of my books are romance novels. Um, and the first one is Say Yes to the Marquess by Tessa Dare. And it features this, uh, two, and I love everything Tessa Dare does. So me this, too. Uh, she's so funny. Me. Yeah, yeah, she's super funny. Um, she has this woman named Cleo who has waited forever for this man she's been engaged with to to marry her and he keeps putting it off and putting it off. And finally she um, realizes that she's in love with his brother, actually, whose name is Rafe. And he is this big bruiser prize fighter guy. Cause of course he is. And pugilist, pugilist. pugilist. And he's always like, you know, wrapping his fists up with bandages covered in oil of wintergreen, which is, becomes eroticized by Cleo. But anyway, Cleo feels very unwanted by her fiance, Rafe's brother. And also she was often forced to starve herself by her mother and not, you know, try to look beautiful and perfect. And um, she was self-conscious about her body, which is supposedly like really curvy and, you know, whatever. And so when Rafe one day talks her into masturbating for him because he it's sort of a, a referendum on how actually you're beautiful and I would love to watch this happen and this is my goal in life and if I could just see this once you could I'd be fine with you marrying my brother and blah 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 and so the whole thing sort of lets her feel pride in herself which she has never felt and I guess what I find I liked I like this book and I like this trope, but I'm always like, wow, like that's not the first thing you I would ever do with someone. Well, not in real life. No, I agree. I feel like that's so varsity level. I mean, like Julio and I were together a while before that even happened. And even then, like it was this really funny thing where it was like you know, more like a thing of convenience. Like, well, all right, if you want, I only have five minutes here. <laughs> like, right. situation that, like that. But that's because of comfort and, and confidence yes. with the other person. You don't right. get that. Like, you don't right start day. with that. But you know what? I was thinking about this this morning as I was even walking the dog and thinking about how much this is very much used in historical books. Like, I've seen it a lot. And it's even in that uh, every... Earl Deserves a Lover or that book that that Sarah McLean book I just read and I feel like I wonder if in some ways this is the evolution of the historical romance novel where we're also going from sort of the bodice ripping books of the 80s that involved a lot of like abduction rape fantasy kind of things that were like very sort of borderline non-consensual to this place where you have heroines who are really owning their own sexuality in whatever way and whether that's coaxed by these men or it's the idea that this is an option for you like this is like I want you to know that this is an option on your on your buffet table because in 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 the Earl book um one of the, the way that it, it plays out in that particular one is that he's been six years celibate as, as a, almost like as a, as a, uh, 
as a punishment to himself for being responsible for his brother's death. And so he talks her into touching herself because he's not going to touch her. And so like, that's sort of this, this, like, it's predicated on this idea that he, he, you know, he still wants her to experience pleasure under his guidance, but it's to her hand. And so I just keep thinking about like, the reason that this is so effective in historical romance novels. And I wonder if part of that is, because what we're really dealing with is, is a, an evolution and a reclamation of the heroine's sexuality that they can find it on their own. I I totally think that's correct. I think that makes complete sense. I also think that just the man having the knowledge uh, that, oh, women actually can get themselves off and they have a special thing. And I know that because I'm credentialed and I have blown through every brothel on the continent and whatever, Mm -hmm. like that, that in itself makes that, that person just even more superb as a a match because they have this awareness that sometimes the, the female heroine doesn't have, like she doesn't know. So he's telling her, Oh, this is possible. Or he's saying, Oh, this thing you might've been embarrassed about. I know that happens and that's natural. It's often just told in, you know, this, let it happen. Don't hold back, you know, which is always the other thing I can't stand about this trope, which is the guy saying, come for me as if it's like a matter of opening a door or, you know, just on like (laughs) unbuttoning something like, yeah, you don't, it doesn't happen on command. You're not that no one's that great. But anyway, um, so that um, brings me to the second thing. We were talking about how, like, you have to have kind of a layer of familiarity and comfort and confidence with this person. And so the second book I'm going to talk about is called Too Hot to Handle, which is by Victoria Dahl. Again, one of my favorite autobi uh, romance authors. And um, this one is set in Jackson, Wyoming, and it features uh, a woman named Mary and a man named Shane. And... Um, it's a it's a super fun book in a lot of different ways but one of the things that they do like on their second encounter she mentions I don't know how they get to this topic but this is the work of a good romance author who makes that they get to the topic of her thinking about him naked or something or taking a shower and then she uh, explains how she thought about him taking a shower while she was masturbating one day. Like <laughs> that just tumbles out of her mouth somehow. And then they go and like, he drives right away to his apartment and they go and reenact it. Right. And like, for me, I mean, that was cool. I enjoyed that. Thanks. But I was just thinking, God, like telling somebody you're like silly, pedestrian sounding pent up fantasies which are often just like I thought about you naked once you know what I thought about you naked in a shower like it, it just sounds so you know banal when you say them in words versus the sub- sublime feeling they have when they're just living in your head like that she would say that and then he would reenact it so quickly before they're committed I was well like, I know Whoa! but the thing is you like know? that to me is like craft mastery that you and I outside of that would be like no way that would never happen in any sort of real life scenario like you know I mean if that happened if I was like oh yeah I thought about you in the shower Julio would be like then let's bone he wouldn't be like oh, okay, well, let's reenact that masturbation scene. He would want in. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's the part that I'm like, you know, the idea that I, in some ways, like, th- this about this trope is that so funny is, like, there, there's also this part that is, like, a, a, this altruistic, completely selfish or selfless act on the, the part of the, the man in, in these scenarios where, like, they, there's, they don't care about whether they get off or not. It's all about you. And a lot of this is, like, a total fantasy sort of wish fulfillment stuff. Um, because, you know, and that speaks so much to her craft that that scene can be super hot and that it's only outside of it when you go okay well actually that would never happen there's no way that you know that someone would say like let's reenact this and you know I could be totally wrong here maybe there are guys who are super interested in watching 
their partners uh, or, you know, vice versa, or girls who are super interested in watching sort of a, a masturbation thing play out. Um, right. And maybe it's just that I've been together with someone too long. So I just think like, gosh, that just feels like, why do I care? You know, I mean, it, right? Yeah, I feel the same way. Because I mean, two days ago, was my 18th anniversary of being with the same dude. And so, um, Happy yeah, anniversary. it just, you know. Yeah, well, no. and the thing is, I always want to, I'm like, I want to be involved in this. You know, I guess that was is the part that's super interesting about the masturbate for me idea in general is, and maybe that's why it's so wordy. Maybe that's why you have the person coaching you through a lot of these different things. And I would say that this is also how this plays out really effectively, of course, also is like in some sort of phone sex scenario mm -hmm. because really then you have it's almost like you have no choice but to masturbate for me you know right and that I can I, I can buy into more because I'm like well, that's just a geographic problem which you know well the other thing that I think makes this particular thing happen well it, it works well and too hot to handle is because the girl is a very timid about her body and sexually anyway, like she just has never had anything that where she has ever been bold. And so the whole relationship is sort of about her being bold and taking risks. And so it kind of matches up with that uh, motivation, which I think is probably the key to helping it be successful. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the other the other thing I mentioned, which was when the one of the people and it's most often a woman when we're talking about traditional romance she has been either traumatized or is a sexual abuse or rape survivor um so in sweetest scoundrel by elizabeth hoyt which is she's also another auto buy for me um the the character eve has had a history of trauma in, and sexual assault and the the guy Asa is this like super crude like you know man of the earth dirtbag kind of dude, but he has no designs on forcing her into doing anything. And the 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 slow burn, I guess, is instead of you know many many pages of meaningful looks, he does all sorts of things like he you know, explains to her how, um, I think they're talking about a castrati, like one of those opera singers without mm -hmm. testicles, and how he had all these lovers. And she's like, well, how can he? He doesn't have testicles. How can he get the, you know, how does that work? And, the, and he's like, oh, well, he just uses his hand, you know, blah, blah, blah. And this woman is like, oh, because this is a historical Regency romance. She's like, oh, I didn't know how any, how any of that worked. So, he kind of talks her through it and then they're like in a carriage or something and he masturbates for her and just shows her what it is. And she doesn't have to touch him. He doesn't invite her to touch him. She just gets to watch and it's very safe because he doesn't invade her space. You know what I mean? Oh, um, that's interesting. He, yeah. He asks her if this is okay. And so that is sort of the entree into it. And then this, next encounter they she he asks her to touch herself while he does the same thing so he's never ever intruding upon her in a way and so when they finally do it it's because she has asked him to you know and so it's like completely the exact remedy the ideal remedy you would have if you were a woman who grew up with a lot of um Past trauma. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. And so, um, and he's, he's, the other thing is, typically, this man is always very comfortable with all things sexual, like he's not like, uptight or weird. And he's comfortable with all things sensual as well. So the, it's all kind of a piece. Um, and I like that, because it was sort of allows her to have full agency in the whole thing. Like she's never out of control. She's never wondering what's going to happen because that would never be sexy for somebody with that, um, that kind of past. And if she wants to approach a person, she has to want it herself and know what she's getting and doing. And that um, is part of the story. So um, that, I guess I find that a little bit more believable than just straight, hi, how are you masturbate for me kind of situation. Um, 
because it seems on the intimacy scale, like something that would happen once you're a little more fully committed to a person that you would show them that. But um, in this case, with it was a kind of way of him being respectful of uh, her own boundaries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I can't believe I haven't read that one. And I know that whole series. And I just I haven't gotten to Asa's story, apparently. Um, I like her too. I like that series. Um, Yeah, it's, I think I've read almost all of those. And he is um, from that weird family that they're all sort of uptight and religious and like, recovering yes. from their make religious peace, right? the make peace, the make yeah. peace family yeah i totally yes. know i love that you and i both know that series um yeah it is is really fun uh there's someone somehow in there there's a virgin hero in that series somewhere too i'm yes. if i'm if i'm not mistaken um yes yeah, uh, yeah and you know the thing about the um it just going back to this idea of sort of the the either the coaching or the showing or the guiding all that there is something really important about um the competency and the confidence of someone who's like who's sort of the voyeur to that um and i think like that's an important element in a lot of those things and that makes those scenes a lot more hot is that you you like you know what you're doing or whoever is guiding this whole scenario knows what they're doing and doesn't feel like it needs to go beyond this one thing you know that there's not you know and and i think that's like what makes those scenes really great is that you sort of get the both best best of both worlds like you're safe you get to figure out your own body or you get to you know guide the pace of a lot of these different things and yet the person you're with like has so much competency and confidence in themselves that they're not going to be like horning in on something you know what I'm saying yeah and I guess I just think about the probability of such a person existing is feels pretty low I know know? I know I know I obviously obviously that's gonna be you know because you have a a lot of different things that could play out with that but uh and also I mean that's maybe why phone sex or whatever or you know uh I think I mentioned to you um Carrie Quinn has this book called Proving His Worth that has a scene where she's watching him in the shower like she it sort of sneaks in but he at a certain point he knows she's there and then it becomes really performative in this way that neither of them are going to talk about which is the other uh sort of masturbation scenes I've seen which are more voyeuristic as opposed to let me see how your what your pleasure looks like or how you find your own pleasure it's more so like I'm going to sneak a peek because this is somehow off limits for one reason or another but I'm I still am super interested so which is the yeah. other you know way I have seen that play out well the other part I think is interesting about it is just that if, especially for historical novels which is you know, you'd wonder why why are these historical novels still so great in terms of selling and an interest in readers is I think it's because they're in the modern world you're supposed to have a lot more uh, confidence and um, comfort with sexual stuff. And certainly a lot of people and especially women do, but there are, there's this element of, Oh, the man is more in touch with this and he's more comfortable with it. And he is not afraid of the outcome, which I think is appealing to a lot of women. It was appealing to me as a young woman too, is just because it was like, Oh, this isn't, I don't, I've been told forever this is something to fear and worry about. And here's this guy saying, actually, this is fine. You're fine. This is all good. You know, and I I feel like that was all kind of tracks with my own, the guys that I like the most, you know, to smack it up with was the guys that were like, yeah, this is fine. I'm fine. You're fine. Where, where there's like the element of judgment is away from it. And maybe that's what yeah. makes those scenes also the most provocative in a lot of ways is yeah. the idea that like, there's no there's no judgment to the whole thing. And masturbation can go either way. Like a lot of times, you know, you can see it and you can just say, well, this is kind of navel grazing here. Like, why would you even put this in your story? Right. Um, and yet, but the other side of it is being sort of the lack of judgment or this isn't, you know, you having put 
pleasure at all is not going to be a problem. That's not a deal breaker. If anything, that's what is a requirement for me. Right, right. And that kind of idea will like, you know, of course, you're going to get off past the salt, you know, Um, that sort of uh, just sort of leaps right over all of your worries and anxieties about the whole situation. And I guess like, the other thing is with with these scenes that tends to be men that are really comfortable with their physical, their physicality, like often they work with their bodies, like one of them is like a horseman, and the other guy is the prize fighter. And then the other guy is he runs a uh, an outdoor theater and amusement garden. And so he's real like earthy and dirty and uses all the dirty words from, you know, old England. And so the idea that they're already in touch with this, and none of it phases them is kind of comforting for women like, Oh, I'm not going to be called a whore. I'm not going to be told I'm you know some sort of soiled dove or whatever the hell like (laughs) you know what I mean like I'm still gonna retain my dignity after this is done because he is the way he set it up is that this is you know a peak experience haha and it it is totally natural and it's something he wants more than anything so um yeah, I kind yeah, of good. I like all good. that. Anyway, I, yeah, me too. Okay, we should probably wrap up, huh? You think? Yeah. 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 Um, well, we hope you've enjoyed today's show and thank you for your feedback and your book recommendations and for rating and reviewing us on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you uh, get your podcasts. You can always email us at feedback at the oral history podcast.com and sign up for our tiny letter for each episode at www.theoralhistorypodcast.com. Until next time, remember, sex and books are two things that are better when you talk about them. Bye! Bye.